strong parishes. We have good priests. We have a really good infrastructure. And now we actually have a transition from one bishop to the next. We are looking at the future as of now. And what we want to do today is that we don't want to take those advantages or take those blessings as for granted, right? We want to then corporately provide formation so that together we can learn how to be attentive to these things. And what can we do to be around in the next 10 years? You know, it's easy, really easy, to gray the APA. All you have to do is look at the hair of our bishops. <laughs> it's easy. <laughs> or no hair at all. <clears throat> it's easy to sit back. That's natural. What we're calling you all to is something very different. And it's going to require a lot and a lot of work. When you look out over a beautiful garden, it might not seem that it needs a whole lot of work. But we all know that not only did it take a lot of work to cultivate the soil, to plant the seeds, to weed and to water, it also takes a whole lot of work to tend to a blooming garden. Our talks today are about this work the work of tending and of cultivating. And in particular, we want to recommend that there is a necessary path in order to, one, cultivate the life of the diocese, and two, to pass on this fullness of faith to the next generation. All parishes seek to serve Jesus Christ in their own times and in their own places. The success of a parish, as Father Glenn was pointing out, then depends on whether it has this good communication, good community, and good communion. They're necessary for any parish, low or high. It doesn't matter. We all need them. And so the questions that we have to ask is that if they're not really present in your parish, how do we start doing that? And if they are present, the question is always, how do we grow them? And how do we nourish them? In our organic metaphor, then, what things are necessary to provide growth in a garden? What enriches the soil? What waters? How do we prune the plants? Which type of plants do we prune well? What causes healthy plant growth? We believe there are four things that must be done excellently in order to sustain and grow a parish with the aid of the Holy Spirit. These are excellent liturgy, excellent education, excellent spiritual direction, and excellent fellowship centered around a parish meal. Before we go into this too much detail, though, let me preface a couple of things. First, this is not a charge from clergy to clergy. These four activities are not the exclusive domain of one order. As will become clearer later, this is the whole parish working together for the kingdom of God. These activities are not new programs just to try out or to buy and to implement. No, no, these are essential outcomes of our own baptism. 
Everyone in this room is already doing them, but we must grow them intentionally. Second, I've sat in your seat, and I know that when someone stands up to talk to you, you're already pushing back in your head because you don't like people telling you what you need to do or what you need to do better. Why the hell is he saying these things? I already know. I, we already do this. This is going to be boring. I know those thoughts. And I understand, especially when it's a priest who's been a priest for two years and looks like he's 21. <laughs> Actually, the hotel manager asked, he said, how old are you? <laughs> I didn't know they ordained priests that young. <laughs> yeah, welcome to Anglicanism. So, even though I look like I've just graduated high school, hear me out. These four things are not new. And what we want to do is not command you, but we want to provide you reasons of why you need to be intentional about these things. And then, if you stay in this room until the end, we are also going to provide resources to help you in your own parish. This is an exercise in corporate formation so that we can flourish together as a diocese. Third, some of you might think that what just works at All Saints in Charlottesville won't work for you. Charlottesville, yeah, we have it really easy. <laughs> we have a lot of young people in our area. We have a beautiful university. We have a lot of money in Albemarle County. But it's not all easy. We do have Nazis who like to visit us every summer. <laughs> And what we find is that everyone who comes to our church needs to grow and to learn a lot. But also with that is that we know at All Saints that we don't do all of these really well. We are intentionally going after and seeking these things all the time. We know that they're important, but we're still growing as well. So therefore, these are not for just one type of parish. They're not for big parishes or small parishes, rich or poor, urban or rural. This is for every parish in our diocese. This is for you if you want to exist in 10 years. More importantly, this is for you because you need to ask the question of what you will render to the Lord on the day of judgment. Will you support the body of Christ individually and corporately? as is our bounden duty and service. To grow a garden, you need the same best, basic, basic necessities. Seeds, soil, sun, and water. You must have excellent soil in order to grow, even have a chance of growing a tomato. Likewise, you must have an excellent liturgy in order to grow a parish and to deepen the lives of your parishioners. But how you grow a garden in Florida, hydroponically, is going to be really different than how you grow a garden in Pennsylvania, right? So the precise mixture of ingredients, the application will differ. Perhaps your parish lacks uh, a choir or an organist. You can still have an excellent mass. If your low mass is beautifully and reverently said, and you will grow Christians. And your educational needs will differ. You might have a parish full of evangelicals who have a good knowledge of the Bible, but 
they are going to lack a sense of the historic church and liturgical formation, nor vice versa. So the goal is not to replicate all saints in the diocese. It's not, the goal here is not to replicate one particular parish across the diocese. So with this in mind, let's begin. In the next hour or so, you will hear from us, and you're also going to hear from people outside of All Saints. We looked around the diocese to find people who are doing these things well, these four things, and they come from different types of churches. First, Father Mark Perkins is going to talk about who is this younger generation that we are preparing our, the fullness of faith for. And why are these four activities going to meet their deep needs? And afterwards, I'll come back up, wrap up this portion, and then we're going to break out into four different groups to go deeper into these four activities. Thank you. Okay, as Father Sean said, um, we believe that the APA is in a perfect spot for growth. Um, we have dedicated priests and laity. We have a solid infrastructure, strong leadership, and a path forward. Uh, more, most importantly, we have the Eucharist, and we have a liturgy of profound beauty that's rooted in the 1928 BCP. We have at our disposal a glorious repository of hymnody and sacred music. And we have a venerable tradition of English practical theology as the basis of spiritual directions, uh, spiritual direction, as well as a parish model of community life together. Through these, we express the aroma of Christ to a dying world. But uh, as, on the other hand, as I'm sure you all know, and uh, Bishop Grundorf, Father Ward, and Father Klein have all mentioned in homilies and talks, uh, the sort of broader trajectory of Christian faith in America is not promising, obviously. Um, religious identification and church attendance continue to plummet. Basic Christian doctrine are increasingly disbelieved, disregarded, misunderstood. And for my generational cohort, those uh, dreaded and despised millennials, yes, I am one, uh, the situation is especially dire. And it would be really easy to become fatalistic. You know, I think probably uh, some of you love the 28 BCP and the 1940 hymnal because you grew up with it, but you might think it's not going to work for younger people. So you have kind of a fatalistic picture of the future um, of, of our way of life. But let me be clear, that's not true. That is not true. The APA and the Anglican tradition it embodies are uniquely positioned to attract and to transform young people in America today. So uh, being a millennial myself, you might expect me to argue that we're just misunderstood, uh, that the tropes about entitled kids these days are just bad press or fake news, if you prefer. That's not true either. We're terrible. Uh, most of us cannot recall a time without computers. Most of us have had smartphones for the entirety of our adult lives, if not before that. We are a social media generation for better or for worse, and pretty much it's worse. Millennials live highly curated lives, do you know what I mean? We seek experiences that can be tweeted or captured and displayed on Instagram. And if you've ever watched somebody taking dozens of selfies to try to find the perfect one, you know that that leads to narcissism. 
But before you non-millennials start feeling superior, please remember, uh, these spoiled, selfish folks are a product of a culture they inherited. We grew up in a world that we didn't choose and we didn't create. And you can trace the seeds of that back to the boomers and before. Paradoxically, we're this most connected of all generations, but we experience unprecedented levels of isolation and alienation. Millennials are never truly alone, right? They always have their phone with them. And they're always alone. Millennials spend less time together in physical spaces than any previous generation. And even when they're together, they're disconnected. They're scrolling alone, as some people put it, in their own little social media worlds. The Geneva people are laughing. Um, in general, and there are some exceptions, this is just worse for the next generation. These are the kids who are actually in high school and college today, Generation Z or iGen. So I've painted this terrible portrait of, of, of myself and my generation. Um, but one of the things is that these dire signs are also the very things that are gonna make intergenerational parish life at your churches so appealing. Being heard over a parish meal, you would be surprised how restorative and even healing that can be for people whose basic way of being around others is tuning them out and being tuned out. We can Google the answer to anything we want, it seems, but whether we realize it or not, and a lot of us don't, we're dying for the personal advice and mentorship of our elders. We need spiritual direction and Christian education, and we aren't really getting it on Twitter. We experience our, our lives in uh, tweetable sound bites and YouTube clips, and so we thirst for profundity and depth, and we find it in the liturgy. So that's an appeal by contrast. Millennials lack certain things, and so they gravitate to what we can offer. But there's more to it than just that. Believe it or not, there are actually aspects of social media life, social media culture, that are fundamentally good in themselves. Hear me out. Uh, I, I just said this already, but, but uh, for one thing, social media lives are comprehensively curated. So uh, every aspect of your life, uh, from your water bottles and your watches, from your coffee and your shoes, all of these display the type of person one is. And the sense of life as a unified whole is actually healthy. It, and it can be a good corrective to the way that modern life tends to compartmentalize different aspects uh, of, of the self. What the problem is, is that our, our consumer culture doesn't offer any sort of meaningful center around which those products can resolve, uh, revolve. There's no grounding for the self. So what the church must offer these people, and should always be offering at all times, is a comprehensive life rooted in Jesus Christ. It's our membership in this sacramental organism, the church, uh, that should define every aspect of who we are and will change our relationship to everything. And, and so because of this, because millennials are already living sort of comprehensive curated lives, I think you'll find that if you attract millennials, often they'll be among your most dedicated parishioners because they'll want to give more of themselves to the church and, gotta be ready for this, they'll expect more from the church because they'll want to understand how to bring all things into right relation with Jesus. I think for most millennials you'll find they're not looking for church as, if they're going to church, they're not looking for it as an addition to an already established life. 
they're looking for it to sort of govern and center the rest of their lives. So that's the first thing that's, that's actually sort of indirectly good about social media culture. It's comprehensively curated. The second thing is that social media life is, is dedicated to a standard of excellence. If everything I own expresses who I am, then everything that I own and consume has to be the best. And since everything has to be selfie ready, got to be able to take a picture of it and it look good, aesthetic excellence matters. Things should look good. I don't just want a cup of coffee. I want a fair trade, single source Ethiopian pour over, perfectly timed at a perfect temperature by my barista Nick so that I can fully experience the notes of jasmine flower with a bergamot and blueberry aftertaste. <laughs> Delicious. And I want to experience it in a beautiful ceramic mug in a sharply designed industrial and hardwood coffee shop. Now that sounds like a caricature or fiction, but it's not fiction, it's what, it's what Father Sean did on Monday. <laughs> At, uh, the barista's name was Alicia. Alicia, sorry Alicia. At Lineage, I think is what it's called. It's, it's, um, it's like the mecca of hipsters in Orlando, I think. Now, um, some, a lot of you won't have urban hipsters in your area, so you might be thinking, that's ah, not my people. Um, your millennials might be lacing up $250 hunting boots and throwing a $300 Yeti in the back of their late model F-150, right? But the same comprehensive and curated standards are in play. And I think this is the millennial mindset, that excellence is the only standard acceptable. Whatever it is you have, it should be excellent. The problem, of course, is that perspective can be lost. You might, not pointing any fingers, you might have spent $13 on a cup of coffee. That's not how much it costs. <laughs> your, your monthly payment on your F-150 might exceed your rent, right? And so you've lost any sense of, of, um, of uh, perspective. But the problem is not the desire for excellence or the attention to aesthetic detail. That's not the problem. So how do we appeal to this generation, or any generation for that matter? We'll meet and challenge this generation, my generation, by doing what we do with excellence. We should not try to do everything, and we should be skeptical of attempts that try to render our faith more accessible or relevant. It would be a mistake, for instance, to try to recreate the praise band at the church down the road, as Bishop Grundorf noted to the clergy the other day. <laughs> Listen, if millennials want a rock band, they're not going to an APA parish to find it. <laughs> It's true, I'm sorry. They're probably not going to church at all to find it, if that's what they're looking for, right? And more importantly, the familiarity of praise and worship does meet people, but our work is also to challenge and form them into worshipers of Jesus, which is exactly what our sacred music tradition does. We should not exchange that for a lesser imitation of a cultural form that's not necessarily that great. Um, at the same time, we don't need to be afraid of the new or automatically shun creative ways and avenues to express the timeless truths of our tradition. So, for example, Father Wade Miller down in Blacksburg uh, has created a new lecture series open to the public on iconography. He also hosts a monthly Theology on Tap book discussion to engage his parishioners. Uh, two priests who are joining the APA, Father Wesley Walker, who's headed to Crownsville at St. Paul's, and Father Miles Hickson, who's going to Holy Cross Knoxville, they have a podcast together called The Sacramentalists, which helps evangelicals understand fundamental Catholic truths. Uh, the clergy at All Saints Charlottesville have started a new website, Earth and Altar, which you'll hear more about later, to provide resources 
for Anglo Catholics and growing the church. These are all good things, good new ways of expressing our faith. But anytime you're considering a new initiative or program or change, you should ask yourself, are the medium and the method we're using compatible with the message and the goal? Or in a misguided and utterly doomed attempt to do what we think will attract millennials, are we on a path that'll lead to a rock concert paired with Twitter-ready liturgy and a place where you can take a selfie with the Blessed Sacrament? <laughs> Doesn't that sound great? So you need to think, where would this lead us if we followed the premises of, of what we're doing here? So when, when we do what we do well, every week and predictably, young families will notice. In everything, we should hold ourselves to high standards of excellence. We should emphasize aesthetic beauty and we should attend to the details. And we do so first and foremost because we are to worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Our liturgy is full of reverence, awe, and beauty because through it we worship God Almighty. But a side effect of this attentiveness is that that's attractive. The young folks who might visit your church are, are doing it because they're dying to experience the transcendent. And you already have it. When you treat the Blessed Sacrament with reverence and awe, you make it clear that what you are doing is real and serious and weighty. And that can be incredibly attractive to people like me who are raised in a throwaway culture. At the same time, this is going to be a challenge to millennials. If you imagine a person who grew up eating McDonald's three times a day, they're not going to immediately appreciate the produce of a beautiful garden. And so many Americans today, and not just millennials, may not immediately know what to do with the Elizabethan language of our liturgy. Obviously, we should also not be deliberately weird or off-putting. We're not role-playing in the liturgy or in any other aspect of church life. We have to be our authentic selves. It's not strangeness or foreignness per se that attracts, but rather the beauty of holiness in the liturgy itself. It is a hint of the real presence that it truly communicates. In all of this, we rely entirely upon grace mediated by the Holy Spirit. And while the Spirit bloweth where it listeth, the Spirit is not a tool for our manipulation, we know that he's present where our Lord promises him to be present. And so because we are the body of Christ, we know, as so many of the uh, messages and homilies and scripture readings have been reminding us this week, we know that the Spirit is always in our midst and supremely in the sacraments. Our duty is not to summon the Spirit through excellence, but rather to reveal for all to see the reality that already exists in the sacraments, to live up to their reality, in other words. Our duty is to hold ourselves to high standards, to do what we do reverently and to the best of our ability. And as Father Sean has said, our parishes will not look exactly the same, nor should they. But the ingredients will be the same, and so should an, a dedication to ever greater excellence. So Father Sean is going to talk a little bit more about the kind of work that this requires, and then he'll give further instructions for our breakout sessions. All right. Briefly, let's go back and describe these four activities again and how they relate to the church's mission. First, liturgy. Liturgy comprises the sacramental life of the church. Most concretely evident in all seven sacraments, 
but seen also in the other offices of the prayer book, the churching of women, the daily office, the consecration of a church. And this is then experienced in the praying life of the church in its calendar. This is the principle of lex orandi, lex credendi. How we pray is what we believe, and that forms how we live. And perhaps best of any tradition, the Anglican Church most concretely reveals how, the, or the connection between liturgical literacy and biblical literacy. The Anglican tradition expects the laity to know the Bible intimately. And so in this vein, every parish must prioritize education for its children and adults, and as well, the continuing education of its own clergy. Education helps us understand how to connect believing and living. And through it, then we learn how to love God with all of our heart, our soul, mind, and strength. And parishes not only provide Christian education, they must also offer spiritual direction. Whereas parish education cultivates the life of the mind, and typically in larger groups, spiritual direction offers personalized assistance to those who wish more fully to develop their own prayer lives and to discern the will of God for their life. Parishes must work towards offering retreats for parishioners. And as a diocese, we must then learn how to identify and nurture possible vocations for directors, both within the clergy and the laity. All of these then, these activities, find or come together in parish fellowship, a community living out the life of Christ together and sharing in the joy and suffering of everyday life communal parish life has been concretely expressed in the church tradition by eating together each week in what the New Testament refers to as the agape meal. This is not the mass, nor is it coffee hour. This is a separate time of fellowship and growth. Every parish needs it. So that's the vision of what we're saying are the four key activities of a parish to be intentional to and to grow. In order to get all this done, yeah, it's gonna require a bit of work to do them excellently. Now, the lion's share of the work of enabling others does fall to the clergy. Well, first to the bishops, let's just make that clear. <laughs> then to the priests and then to the deacons, right? And I think, and I know a lot of clergy feels that pressure. So while it, is, it will be for the clergy to lead their parishes, it does land at the feet of the laity to do much of the work alongside of them. Just as a body, we have two lungs to flourish. So the body of Christ has two lungs, two orders, laity and clergy. Laity, you have time, you have energy, and you have money to make sure that what we need to do gets done. There's a wonderful sermon by St. Basil, who's writing to his parishioners, and he has a great way to put this charge. He says, God does not desire a dead sacrifice. 
He actually desires a living sacrifice. And you know what he's talking to? He's talking to parishioners who think that they can just give money in their will and that's it. And he says, no, you have to give your money now. You have to give your time now because that is the sacrifice that God is calling you to. So the lady who are in this room you all have been elected as delegates of your church. You are already the key members of your parish. And now you get to bring this message back and to fully participate in the body of Christ. Our life in the church is not, not the same as a membership in a social club. Your life in the church is the framework in which your whole life is framed. You must live your whole life out within that framework. And so it's the lady collaborating in all of these aspects of the church's mission. Liturgy, education, direction, fellowship. Let me give you some examples. Liturgically, a parish needs beautiful vestments. They need a dedicated organist. And the lady then must give their money and their time to get that done. In education, Lady, you're called to this ministry. Yeah, you need to step up and teach little kids or fellow adults. And if that's really scary, because teaching middle schoolers is very scary, and I know that, then maybe you could be the one to organize classes, find teachers, outings, plan youth events, etc. And then the parish needs support in the continuing education of the clergy. Have your vestry, put some money aside so that your priest can go take a class or have a sabbatical. In direction, it's the laity who need to plan the logistics of retreats or even go through the discernment process to become a spiritual director themselves. And for fellowship, it's the laity who need to do the majority of the work from planning and preparing the parish meal to then loving all of the members of the parish. So, what we're going to do now is that something very different. I know. I was a middle school teacher, so if you feel like you're being treated like a middle schooler, accept it. <laughs> we're going to go into four breakout sessions at this point. Now, every church has maybe three people here, so you're not going to, we don't have the time to rotate those sessions around. So there's going to be four sessions going on. And these sessions are intended to go a little bit deeper into these four activities. Bishop Chad is going to lead the talk on liturgy. Father, uh, and then uh, Father Paul Rivard is going to lead the talk on education. Father Manise is going to lead the talk on spiritual direction. And Father Glenn Spencer is going to lead the talk on fellowship. You have, hopefully, three people here from your church. So you can make it to probably three of the four, right? And I want you to go to the ones in which you think your church needs to be more intentional about. Split up. Don't go to the same one. Talk to your priest. Find out which ones people are going to. Go to different ones. You're going to have a short 20-minute talk, 20 minutes of Q&A, and then we're going to come back here together, and we're going to have a very short conclusion. 